Welcome to BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT. This is our podcast, The Gem of All Mechanisms. My name is Brian Runciman. Today we're doing a follow-up uh, podcast. So this is a new thing for us. We, we set something up a few weeks ago. Hopefully you listened to the open source podcast we did uh, late in May. It was called Open Source is about more than money saving. And the reason we did it was that uh, Open UK were doing some research. And uh, last time we spoke to Jennifer Bath at Smooth Media, who's here again with us today. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Brian. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. And yourself? Thanks for having me. Good. Thanks. Lovely. And of course, Amanda Brock, who we spoke with a couple of times now from Open UK. Welcome, Amanda. Good morning, Brian. Uh, nice to join you. It's such a lovely day. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, yeah, being stuck indoors, but we can go out later. That's fine. Let's start off, uh, Jennifer. Oh, give us the headlines, first of all. What do we find out about uh, Open Use? So this year for this first phase report focused uh, only on open source software. So that's what we did last year across three. This year, that's what we've done for this first one altogether. So it's included um, a kind of overview of what's happening out there, what other reports are saying. So we are always part of the community of open source software and what people are talking about. And then a focus in on the findings from our survey which we put in the field uh, May, beginning of June. And thanks to everyone for filling it out. We had a great uh, response on that. And then of course, case studies. So the whole story is about open source software. And we found our big headline is that the UK spends uh, 4.8, somewhere between 4.87 and 5.65 billion pounds on open source software. So that's our top line. Um, that was a new way of thinking about um how to value open source software in the uk and it was very much around the investment enterprises are making in open source software and that's the first attempt of that kind uh, we also found that 11.9 million open source software package downloads in the uk in the first half of 2022 uh, we found 100 percent of organizations of less than three years old use open source software uh, we saw a really nice overview of the the use, um, the, sorry, excuse me, the consuming it, then we broke it down into consuming and contributing open source software, and then looked at consuming, contributing, and distributing open source software. And I, I think Amanda will speak more about this, but that gave us a great overview of what we're calling the open source software journey and what that landscape looks like. So do you begin by consuming only? And we saw a very small portion are consuming only, and then uh, moving along to uh, consuming and contributing and a larger proportion was doing that. And of course, the largest proportion being those that are doing all three actions uh, consuming, contributing, and distributing, giving us a sense that the UK has a very, um, is far along on its journey and use is mature. And that's what we wanted to see. What does it mean um, to look at good governance, good hygiene, uh, ways of being part of this community, innovating? What are the challenges? What are the benefits in a country that's extremely mature in their use of open source software? Okay, that's interesting. Now, how does the uh, that big numbers? Okay, so you, you're obviously going to be pleased with that. How does that compare with proprietary software use? Have you, have you got a comparator there at all? I think we've got a comparator to the Leveling Up Fund, and that there was a multiple, and I can't remember. I think it's between twenty nine and thirty five times the digital investment that the government has made in the Leveling Up Fund for technology. So I don't know if anybody's ever recorded this for proprietary. But what we see is the percentage of open source software growing and growing. You've got 97% of companies year on year that hasn't grown, that stayed the same using open source or understanding that they're using it. 
but the um, I think the scale of usage and the investment is interesting but it's interesting because it takes you on that journey and this uh, download stat that we gave you the 11.9 million that's also a new thing that we've started to look at we've just found a company that's able to share that data they've only split the UK off since January 2022 so we'll have a whole year of that next year to look at but even that 11.9 million packages and that was to the it wasn't quite the full six months that was to the second week in June but, I mean that's an incredible scale of usage mm. and the thing that I think the report really draws out if I was drawing a strategic conclusion is that we're in a world now digitalized where our infrastructure whether we're in an enterprise or the public sector is software defined so software is everywhere a huge proportion likely the majority of that is open source it's not just tools it's going to be your infrastructure and probably your key infrastructure maybe your critical infrastructure and there is a, a challenge and the challenge is understanding so I think we've done quite a good job in convincing people in the UK that the software to be open source has to have the code freely shared and it has to be on an OSI license. So we've got that sort of contractual base definition, you know, being utilized across the public sector. The problem with that, and we talked about this a bit before, is value. So you're not going to generate your value if you're not doing all the stuff around it. And the stuff around it is making sure that you've got your house in order, that your governance is right, that your processes and your policies are in place and they're right, that your procedures are going to work so that what you end up with is open source that is well curated. And curation is going to be the word that you start to hear more and more around open source. This is kind of hot off the press. So curation seems to be where the market is falling in the US, which we will inevitably follow um, around the, the sort of crossing of a road. And you cross a road from the community creating this code, whether it's a business or individual community, and the, road, the code crossing this road to being used in enterprise in the public sector. And you can just take it and use it, but there is no liability attached to it. So if anything goes wrong, it's your problem. And the smart things to do is to be working out how you want to curate that journey across the road. Do you want to do it yourself? Do you want to employ someone? Do you want to buy uh, enterprise software that's prepackaged like the, the Red Hat subscription model will give you? Google have just come out with something like that. Eric Brewer, um, one of the, the leading developers at Google has written a piece in our report about it. But you'll see if you read the thought leadership with, and Bruce Perrin, you know, creator of open source, also wrote a piece for us. If you look at what everybody's saying, it wasn't designed to do what it's doing. Its success because of its quality and its innovation level is phenomenal. It is absolutely right for that utility. But what we need to make sure is that the journey is followed and that this um, I suppose it's a skills development and education piece to make sure that you've got the governance, you've got the technical processes and you understand what open is and you're not hiring people or contracting with people who don't get it. And we see that happening a lot. And it's fine if they don't get it so long as they go out and learn and they join communities to learn. But the value you really want to get is having that contribution, the collaboration. Um, Jen's probably gonna talk to you about collaboration because we see so much of it in the UK. And this big picture is the piece we need to get. Now, I don't know if you'll have seen Computer Weekly. Put, uh, I think it was Computer Weekly. Could have been computing, put a piece out over the weekend. 
And it was saying that the UK government is not ready and it's not ready to understand. Um, government has so far failed to show it understands the impact that technology has on foreign policy and global governance and has no strategy to counter this. And they want to prevent the UK from becoming a rule maker, a rule taker rather than a rule maker. Mm. And I think open source is going to play a very big part in that, in that governance shift. And it links back to the journey in our report, because what you see is that the country is inevitably going to be using this open source software that is based on global collaboration. What is international good practice? What's the right thing to be doing? So I'm going to say I've talked quite a lot because it's quite a big strategic piece. And I think the report shows this really nicely. And Brian, I'm going to pass back to you and Jen, but we should come back to that international strategic piece. We'll come back to that. Let me ask you one question, just re retrace slightly, Amanda. You were talking about the fact that organisations might not get the value out of this if they don't have all the surrounding infrastructure, correct? Does that mean, do you mean for them or do you mean if maybe they're not genuinely open source and that other people will benefit from that? No, from no, I, I actually mean for them. I mean for the bottom line. I mean for okay. money. Um, if if you see why organisations go to open source, and Jen knows how much I don't like this, they go to it because they think there's an economic value. And you see right. this again and again and again. And generally, they will give you two reasons. One is to avoid lock-in and one is to create code that can be reused and recycled. Now, if you give a third party or even your in-house team code or a task to create code or to bring code in, and they then do not have all the governance in place, they do not do the updates, they do not maintain it, they do not make sure it's secure, you are not going to be able to rely on what you've got sitting on GitHub. You are going to yeah. have to go to a third party vendor. And I, I've done conversations and interviews over the last year or so with people where I've asked what their plans for maintenance and community building are. And the response has been something like, oh, I've got a three year contract. That's what you would have in proprietary. That's because you're right. using the wrong time of contracts as part of your governance. You know, you've not understood that open source should be about taking third party collaborations. The best code comes from having that collaboration. It's one of the key advantages. So you risk your lock in and actually having to go back and pay again and again the same supplier to maintain for you because you've not built that ecosystem. But also, if the code is sitting in what I've started to describe as a GitHub wasteland, if you're just dumping it out there and you're not managing it, nobody else is going to come and reuse it. And I said to somebody recently, it has no value at all. And they corrected me and they're right. It has a value only in as much as when you're looking at prior art and patents, you'll be able to see it in the public domain. Right. But it is not, you know, by the letter, it is open source but it is not healthy open source, it's not well curated, it's not a good community. And what you really want to know if you are looking at um, software being used in the enterprise is that at some point this has been well managed. And if you look at communities, I mean, there's companies like HashiCore that have grown out of a community project and you, you see that evolution and how they start to build the community around it, but also build their governance and hygiene. That's interesting. So uh, let's talk about that that collaboration stuff then, uh, mm. uh, Jennifer. Um, I mean, I mean, if things are not really genuinely collaborative, it, it destroys the whole point of open source anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the our findings found a really high level of collaboration and people okay. talking about that collaboration. Um, 
I think probably we're grabbing uh, communities of people who are who are involved, who are far along their journey, or understand either far along their journey and, and have made those collaborations, or or the young companies that do it by default, right? It's just by design that you would collaborate, that you would be part of those communities. Our our key benefits that we found in the survey of using open source, uh, sorry, consuming open source software was cost savings and license fees was number one. We tend to have that, and that tends to be a stubborn you know that comes back as a good reason why people are using it but next was collaboration and then the third was community contribution so those are the top benefits so people really do see it and then we found that 94 percent of organizations in our uh survey are collaborating in some form and we asked across intersource uh with other competitors 41 percent are collaborating with competitors which is very uh, unusual in the in the marketplace um, and then you know generally other examples of you know working with academic institutions uh, working with public sector organizations um, etc so quite a high level of collaboration and in the case studies too uh, specifically with some of the um, the public um, institutions that we spoke to they're just by default it's collaborations we don't have the in-house skills we find someone who does, and we work across it. In one of the organizations, uh, one of the case studies, uh, they were they were you know working with with volunteers to create community council hubs, and you know that kind of work across and learning skills and development was a big part of it. We also saw not just in the survey and in this conversation around the importance of collaboration and how much that is happening in the case studies. What was really uh, strong for me uh, was this sense that you start consuming and you're, you're, you're sort of by yourself, you're, you're sort of working along, then you realize, you know, as Amanda saying that without the community and without the contributions, your code isn't strong enough and your plan over time isn't strong enough. You, you build something that isn't going to be properly maintained, that isn't going to be properly checked, that the dependencies are not going to be looked into. So there is the piece around the governance and putting the policies and procedures in place, which seems to come with this realization that you're in this, field of community of of people moving in and out that you need to be aware of both for the you know the positives that brings but also the potential uh risks that it brings right and your best thing is to cover that because your whole you know project as you said where is the value if you can't ensure that that that's happening and and on top of that what i found really uh, uh interesting i don't like the word interesting but you know really uh cool about it i guess would be that with that collaboration came also skill development and a realization of what they didn't have uh, inside or what they needed to train for, or what we needed to learn about um, how we become part of a network, what other people are doing, a sense of self, a sense of self as a coder, being part of a community that codes in a conversation and, and realizing your own ability in that year, you know, high up on our list, even though it wasn't the top was, you know, innovation as one of the mm -hmm. benefits and to innovate like that, you need a community you need to cross as i talk about in my piece the chasm you know that people fall into early adopters fall into this chasm you've got to come out and that takes building bridges across as amanda was saying what how do you cross that road well you do it with others and you do it in the community and you build the best code you can and you ensure the safe you know you safeguard that work by yeah. building the governance and the structures and the good hygiene around it so let me put my BCS hat on a little bit more firmly now, because um, a couple of things you said, they're really trying with their making IT good for society kind of approach. 94% collaborate, 41% with their own competitors. Now that just sounds 
just at the base level like a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Did you have a sense for how successful those that that's them doing it? But did you have a sense for the success of those collaborations? You know, this is something that I've got a bit of a hobby horse about. So that we call it coopetition, and that coopetition, when you see competitors collaborate, is the lifeblood of the last decade of open source, where you've seen it shift and the big enterprise collaborations happen. And I suspect that the the majority of what we're seeing is companies that operate internationally as opposed to the domestic UK marketplace. I think we're seeing some of it starting to happen in the domestic UK market, but this is a shift that we really want to encourage over the next few years. If the UK is really to take a global leadership position, it needs to learn how to do this well. And I see it, uh, you know, with Open UK, a lot of the partners we engage with are UK branches of international companies or subsidiaries, because they've been doing this over the last decade with uh, Eclipse Foundation, Linux Foundation, you know, Risk Five, whatever it is. And we see it less in the domestic market. And we don't have a way to split that at the moment in our study. But it's really interesting to me that we've got this high rate. And I would really like to encourage more of it, because I suspect that for the UK, you know, the government is pushing us for this leadership position. And we we definitely are world class and we have bits like open source where we are a center of excellence. But really stepping up requires more of that domestically and us to understand it better. Because people following their solo paths, it's a much harder journey and it's a much slower journey. And the pace of innovation we've got now, there's no way that you're really going to have the same success as you could together. But that seems to be dying away at 94 percent are actually interested in collaborating or already doing yeah. so. So yeah. That's a good sign. yeah. So just getting that learning and getting them understanding how to do it and getting that engagement in the domestic companies is going to matter a lot. Now, you also wanted to talk, Amanda, about the international perspective. Do you want to pursue that, that thought a little bit more? Yeah. Um, what we're seeing is. And I, I think the report draws this out, particularly as you come to the end. You know, we've taken quite a leading position on sustainability. COP26 really focused the minds in the UK. We're doing a second sustainability day and we'll have phase three of our report around 16th of November when we talk about sustainability and look at COP26 a year on. We're doing it during COP27, but for us, it's really COP26 plus one. Where have we got to? And we're looking there at societal value metrics, which is something that the, the the world is looking towards, not just the Mm. economic values. But the other piece of that is that we're looking at this journey Jen described. And as you come out of that journey and you get to a point of maturation, what you see is more engagement around curation, around security and understanding what good open source is. Now, the US is ahead of us and the US has... um, If you look at SBOM, Software Bill of Materials, the Biden ordinance required those last May. They were supposed to be in place by this year, by 31st July. I think there's been a bit of a reprieve there and they've got a little bit longer. But I was talking to uh, some of the US people running SPDX last week. We did a session with them or with Kate Stewart specifically. Um, And what you see is that they have 71% adoption of S-bombs. Now, an S-bomb software bill of materials, it's about your supply chain. It's about understanding what software you are distributing or receiving and having that discipline across your your supply chain is a part of doing open source well. It's a part of curating it. And, you know, we've actually seen in the US legislation. So what we've done is we've engaged with a lot of those people and with some of the people around the, the White House and the, the US security 
uh, work and we're hoping to have an event uh, around the 16th to 20th of September. It's penciled in just now for the 20th. That'll be confirmed quite soon where we'll bring some of those people, we'll bring UK enterprise and we'll bring UK government together to start to really talk about what does this mean for the UK? Because what we're looking at, as I mentioned, is critical national infrastructure. We're not going to be able to go this alone. You know, it, I used to, during Brexit, I came up with a phrase because one or two countries weren't as collaborative as they should have been. They didn't like the way things were going here. And um, I came up with this sort of it's open source, not local source, and it will never be local source. It will always mm. require us to do this international collaboration, because as you look down your supply chain, you can't escape it. So this need for collaboration will be absolutely at the heart of the discussions about geopolitics, international collaboration at government level and technology. And when you see this shift to governments trying to manage more of their own technology, again, inevitably, because of the scale of adoption and the infrastructure piece, a lot of that's going to be open source. Mm. So I think what we're, we're looking at now, I hope, is government recognising it needs to do more and coming, I hope, to a lot of the deep expertise that the UK has around that open technology. Because we've got it, it's not just the open source software piece, we've got open data, you know, the Open Knowledge Foundation, the Open Data Institute are UK based. We, we've got a lot of great work going on in hardware too. So bringing all of that to the fore and understanding strategically what that means for infrastructure, for public sector, for governments, and then how the UK can collaborate at a government level, but also the impact that that will have on the enterprise, I think is going to be really important for us. I've got my ears tuned in for titles all the time. I'm having these conversations and open source, not local source. Sounds like it might be the title for this podcast to me. That's very snappy. Thank you very much. Now, um, um, always steal them. I never make them up for myself. You know, I just steal the titles from somebody else. Um, Fair enough. I, I, just today, actually, uh, BCS signed an MOU with uh, Shanghai University, and it made me think about uh, open source usage in other large marketplaces. So, you know, obviously that's that's China. The US are a little bit more mature than us. We're doing very well. That's clear from this report. What, what What's the rest of those large areas, maybe India and China, looking like? Yeah, so when we look at where we sit, we're about fifth biggest in the world. If you look at contribution. And uh, that's behind China, India, the US. OK, so, you know, and there was a I think time has no concept for me anymore. Thanks to lockdown. I was never great at it, but I've gotten worse. And I think it was around November, December, the Chinese put out um a statement from their technology institute saying that they need to focus more on open source and that they need to ensure that there's more open source coming out of China, more homegrown communities. So I think what you're seeing is government recognising the need for this across the board. So even although they're in the top three, that's not enough. Interesting. And obviously with the, the different geopolitical friction going on politically, how that then is managed because you're, you're not going to find open source that doesn't have global collaboration you go to the linux kernel it's from all over the world yeah. so we need to work out how to work together from a technology perspective and there's risk associated with that and you know there's no point in just saying it's all yeah i don't know um 
butterflies and bunnies you know some of it is sharks and we have to work that out and uh, we have a chap called Nicholas Chalin who is ex-Department of Defence and in the Air Force now talking on Wednesday this week about how to build open source in defence how to secure DevSecOps in defence in the US whilst using open source we're running this uh, summer of open source software security event with various podcasts with uh, a number of sessions the videos and things will all be available on our website but that's because there is a risk the risk isn't because it's open source the risk is because it's software the risks yeah. are different for open source and proprietary and we really need to look at how we manage that but this is a big picture because it does involve that geopolitics and it involves politicians getting to a level of understanding i mean i think the only time i've heard anybody in at ministerial level talking about open source was matt hancock in may you can tell you it was the 19th of may i think from memory uh, 2020 talking about the test and trace app right okay. you know one of the public briefings and I know because my phone started to buzz straight away um, and you know getting that understanding not only that it's an inevitability and that we're using it but that we are good at it here mm. and you know you see from these stats 21% using s-bombs here as opposed to 71% in the U.S that's down to having an ordinance so that's down to government stepping up but at the same time, we are good at it and we have this great community and we have this great adoption that Jen's been talking about. So it's bringing the two together and making the stars align, I think. OK, lovely. Um, I almost changed my mind then and decided to call this. It's not all butterflies and bunnies, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to stick with the other one. Um, we do have um, an interesting paper for BCS members that are listening on, on the secure area of the members website. Uh, from our FTAG group about software builds and materials, which I'd recommend you have a read of. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for whetting our appetites here. Now, obviously, you don't want to give too much away about your report today because you want people to read it. So where can they read it, Jennifer? I think that's a question for Amanda, actually. OK, Amanda. Yeah, so I'm the one that prompts out the URL. So it's openuk.uk slash state of open. And you will that's also right. find on there that there's a link to an Eventbrite. Um, we cancelled our event in Wales last week, unfortunately, our face-to-face -face event just because of the COVID rates, and we've moved it to a digital event on the 20th. Um, anybody who would like to join us is very welcome. It'll be a digital drinks. Jen and I will be doing quite a detailed Q&A, and then we'll have some of the people who participated in the podcast, and we'll even have a quiz about the report. Lovely. Um, Jennifer and Amanda, thank, thank you so much for joining me today. Really interesting. Thanks for having us, Brian. It's great to speak about it. We're really, really proud of what we've put out this year and the kind of picture it, it, it paints of, of the UK and how strong you know, we are and what we need to do next.